0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays, Jumpers, Jaron Jackson, Jr., John Rance, Joe Johnsons. We've got Jays, the Gun for Days, Josh, how are you doing?
1: You know, Sunday was the first time I had talked myself into believing St. Peter's was going to win. And the minute I talked myself into that and went through in my head exactly how it was going to happen and why they were going to win. I realized that they were going to lose by a significant amount. So I guess it's all my fault.
0: Um, The the only – right, at some point, with all due respect to St. Peter's, at some point they were going to look like a 15 seed. Yeah. Because – and while I believe that they have the coaching and specifically the coaching of a team better than a 15 seed – It's still a team that at one point lost like six of eight to some pretty bad basketball teams. Like they started their seasons with losses to VCU, St. John's Providence, not a bad team, Siena, St. Francis, New York, and Stony Brook. They had all of those losses before December 18th. And at some points the magic was going to run out or they were going to run into simply a better team. Um, And not only did that happen in the form of North Carolina, but it's so obvious that it should have happened against Purdue. And I don't know what happened to Purdue because Armando Baycott had no issue making them feel like mid-major players. had no issue reminding them that, Hey, you guys are from the Mac and I'm going to go ahead and and I'm going to have a 20 and 20 double double. Yeah. Like the fact that Zach Eady had zero defensive rebounds against St. Peter's like, like you should have been kicked off the team immediately. Immediately. Like that is like, like Purdue should have to suspend functions of their men's basketball program for two years because they lost St. Peter's. They should. Um, because at some point it was going to happen and it happened against North Carolina and, um, and the NCAA was not going to let St. Peter's get in the way of a Duke North Carolina game. So I guess we should have seen it coming, but right. It always happens with that. you're trying to believe in the Cinderella by being as logical as possible because logic suggests that they should have lost in the first round. Right. right? Exactly. And at some point logic is going to return and they're going to get smoked by a better basketball team, which is what happened against North Carolina. But you're also not trying to be that guy who is like, I don't have any faith in the Cinderella. Cause that's yeah. not really fun to be.
1: I really thought they had one more. My, my, my thought was, right. Okay. Look at what they just did to Purdue. They can do that to Baycott too. And Caleb Love is streaky and just overall inconsistent. And so when you drop 30, my thought was he's going to have a stinker. They've schemed so well defensively that you can take Baycon not out of the game, but you can minimize his impact. And I trust those guards to defend. And, you know, Brady Manic is, it's not like you need to put a huge guy on him. You need to make sure that he doesn't get, Open off the pick and pop, which is easier said than done. Mm. And he's been destroying people most of the season at this point. But in my head, I went, Well, if they can, they've done the hard part by doing it against Kentucky and Purdue. If they can do that, then I just don't feel like this UNC team, from a schematic standpoint, I feel like they're easier to deal with when you're looking at it from St. Peter's and you can tell. A minute and a
2: half
0: into that game, it was gonna when end it, the way it did when it was nine to two. Yeah. I knew the game was over, and there was just that there it wasn't in, in the air. Doug Eater didn't have a field goal, like this is it. Was it all went down? It all went downhill quickly. But I mean, I wasn't even like, like the biggest takeaway from it was, Oh my gosh, Purdue lost to this basketball yeah. team. It definitely it,
1: shapes shapes how you. View what has happened before to see North Carolina do what they did. Yeah,
0: yes, and, and to like like I've never seen a program slash team go into a game so entitled when they've literally done nothing of importance this year. They didn't win a big East, the Big Ten regular season title. They didn't win the Big Ten tournament because they lost to Iowa in that game. Um, they lost two of their last three to not win the Big Ten tournament, and clearly. Like I thought there's no way that in the Sweet 16 you write off at the team you play in the Sweet 16 no matter who it is. And that's exactly what they did. It's exactly what they did. And to see guys sort of mope around and like to I mean like Jay Nivey. If Jay N if I was a GM and was gonna draft Jay Nivey in the first, as a lottery pick, I'm not drafting Jay Nivey anymore. That was embarrassing. That was embarrassing he was at he was he was throwing the college basketball equivalent of a temper tantrum because he was not playing defense all he would do was take contested three pointers to try to you know catch fire and and it it sort of permeated throughout the rest of the purdue team it was that was about the worst thing that could have happened for purdue like if St Peters goes in and loses by two to north carolina then like then you can at least say, man, they almost went to the final four. Like we lost the team that was a bucket away from going to the final four. And that was just not the case. And yeah, that was the most shocking thing that happened in the last, in the last four days of the tournament. Um, Of course it's Monday now, but in the sweet in in, on the second weekend, that was, that was pretty uh, pretty ridiculous what happened, but, um, but yeah.
1: And I was talking to my, friend last night who's a diehard Purdue fan and you know played high school basketball in Indiana no he's a very rational Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: intelligent basketball follower Mm -hmm. and he said I'm done with Ivy I want no part of him and you know as a grew up in Indiana Pacers fan I don't want Pacers Mm -hmm. drafting him I'm done which was just stunning to hear but also it's for the reasons that you just said that you got to at least Ask some questions. And the other thing I was thinking about before we get off of this topic, because we want to sort of cover some of the teams that
2: lost that deserve some conversation. See Purdue as example A.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Jaden Ivey, in almost every way, is the opposite of a coach's kid.
0: I was, ju- I would absolutely 100%. Right?
1: Now, his. His quote-unquote coach's kid background is a little bit different than your traditional, you know, dad coached you in high school or whatever.
0: Mm.
1: You know, his his mom was obviously coaching on a complete, in a completely different sort of sphere and was playing professionally and all of those things. But just the, the things you associate with kids who come from a basketball background, and he is the epitome of a basketball background. And obviously his mom is a very intelligent basketball mind. It just, there's something about that that doesn't click in my head because he's everything that Colin Gillespie isn't, right? And I don't, I don't actually think Colin Gillespie is a, a coach's kid, but that's what I, when I think of a coach's kid, that you think of Villanova point guard, right? Right. <laughs> and Jaden Ivey obviously has the basketball pedigree and he's, he has all of the raw athletic skills. But just the, that calmness, the control, the ability to run a team, the leadership skills, it just, yeah, it all, it all fell apart. And maybe I didn't think it was going to happen in that way, but you, you know, it was not surprising that that happened. You could see those signs all season. That's what I kept harping on. And I wanted to believe that they could turn it around at some point and, you know they almost got the Big Ten tournament title, but yeah, to have that team and to end with really nothing to hang your hat on—it's not like they made it to the Final Four and then lost to a, for example, a dupe team that's also very good. And but you made the Final Four, right? Or you lost a really close Elite Eight game. Just every benchmark that they're getting evaluated against, they fell short of. It-
0: Jaden Ivy successful versus Jaden i Jaden Ivy successful, like, like feeling it is a lottery pick. Jaden Ivy, when there's any sort of resistance from anything whatsoever, whether that's the other team or the fact that his jump shot's just not going in, I'm not drafting him with a first round pick. No shot. Because what because like the, to me that communicates you don't love basketball you love being the guy you don't love like like that communicates to me that when you're warming up because I was totally this kid at least on the basketball court like warming up I want to see the team on the other side I want to I want to them to look like they suck because I just want to I just want to like win by a bunch and it's to be fun now it was different on the baseball field because I was better at baseball but <laughs> but what that communicates to me is that you don't want the challenge when you just sort of look uninterested and like entitled when things get a little bit rough because that's what it was. Mm -hmm. It was like, it was like, you're like down by you're down by six with three minutes left and you're walking it up the court. Like, like you got like, like you're going to lose brother. It was. I was, and I'm, and I've come down a little bit. But I was like, if we had a pod, I would have ended Purdue if we podcasted right after the game. You,
1: you were very. I
0: would have ended like I, and and it it goes back to that idea of like I like that team didn't look like they were ready for that game. Mm-hmm. They didn't look like they were ready to play a team that was good to beat them. It's like they didn't believe it, and at no point during that game did they get to the point where they believed it. And it it just sort of it goes back to that bigger thing that like how does anybody ever come out flat footed in a game that they by definition have to win? Like that just is unfathomable to me. Like and there's a difference between that and like not making your shots. Like that mm-hmm. happens, right? Right. But to see teams look like they're surprised by the intensity or look like indifferent about the outcome, because that's what he looked like. He looked like he was indifferent about the outcome because he wasn't making any shots. And that was the, that's the thing that will all that will baffle me until the day I stop, you know, talking about sports. It's like that team just looks like they don't they didn't want they, that they weren't ready to show up for this game. That there was only one option if they want to play another game.
1: Yeah, and I, I hesitate to go to the questioning his passion for the sport because he is such a. I mean, his life has always been basketball, and I think he. I think he really, truly does love it, but they, there is a disconnect. You're absolutely right. That it just, it's hard to, and it's what I've struggled with that with that whole team, you know, this entire season, we've talked about this multiple times, but just there is something that just doesn't click in my head as to how this looks the way it does. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of a fitting end to what was ultimately, a, you know, in a vacuum successful, but by any realistic, evaluation incredibly disappointing
0: season at every point you look it's just like i wanted a little bit more right exactly Um, but i suppose we can stop hammering purdue but like i was like i i tend to think of myself as a guy who roots for purdue as as a person with close friends who attended the university because i like seeing my buddies have you know i like having Seeing teams that my buddies root for be successful, and I was, I was like, I'd have been upset if they found a way to win the game because I didn't think they deserved to mm-hmm. to win the game. Um, and they're an easy
2: program to root for.
0: Yeah, very easy. Yeah. But I, I had lost all the interest in, in rooting for them by the time the game was over. Um, and then like we meant, like we talked about, North Carolina going on to just smoke St. Peter's didn't exactly help either. North Carolina in the Final Four. Um, do you want to talk? where do you want to talk next
1: one thought on, I mean, there's not much too much to say about North Carolina's performance. It was obviously great. And we'll, we'll save the, the actual final four conversation for the end. The one thing I will say is the difference between those two games, aside from St. Peter's finally looking rattled and a little bit lost. And the fact that they didn't start well for the first Mm -hmm. time in the tournament was, and you alluded to this without getting specific at the beginning, but what St. Peter's did so well against Purdue was you can't stop Travion Williams and Zach Eadie from getting the ball. But what you can do is you can minimize the impact of where they get it and bother them and get them a foot off of where they're comfortable. That's what St. Peter's did so well is that they messed with the rhythm. And Armando Bacon just went in there and said, yeah, you're not displacing me whatsoever. And just sat himself right under the rim. (laughs) And whether, unless he he was either getting the rebound or he was just there, he always won that positional battle. And it's a testament to St. Peter's, they were able to do as much as they were to bother the behemoths that Purdue threw at him. But it just, again, it makes you wonder because like you said at the beginning, Armando Baker had no problem dealing with that. Absolutely yes. none whatsoever. He just obliterated them like you would expect the immensely talented big guys that St. Peter's has faced because they faced a I mean, bunch of them. Right. Sheboy, Edie, Williams, and Bacon. And yep. Sheboy had his way as well and just didn't get any help. But that was the, the one thing I want to mention about North Carolina that they did so well was. Baycott was—he didn't have to do anything particularly special, but he was just always getting himself in a position where he was
2: comfortable, and St. Peter's just could not mess with his rhythm and disrupt things.
0: Yep, hundred percent. There's a couple places we could go next. We could go to perhaps Gonzaga falling short in their at least obviously best chance. Yeah, to let's get it over. Go with. to the Final Four um 74 68 final score there they lost to arkansas um let me if you just give me one moment here 74 68 um and quite frankly drew timmy was the only guy that showed up for gonzaga and really he only showed up in the second half chet homer gonna he had a double double but he had 11 and 14 and fouled out with like five minutes left the, the foul
1: trouble was a, a big
0: factor yeah um the the guards really really let gonzaga down in this particular game the starting guards uh, julian straddler sir bolton and andrew demhard combined to go 5 of 30 from the field sorry not 5 8 of 30 excuse me 8 of 30 for the field from the field uh 27 points between the three of them uh they got nothing off the bench uh, they got five points off the bench but and it wasn't like arkansas played incredible it's not i mean it took jd notate 29 yep. shots to get 21 points and i think that was the thing that you know looking back on it in particular and right Jalen williams um was well, phenomenal king of the charge um, I hate the charge, by the way. Despise it. Like, and no, like, I and you can't ask any ref because they don't actually know either. Um, you could ask three different refs, and they give you three different definitions, and that's kind of the issue with it. Yeah, but it, it's kind of a mess. But he played really well, 15 and 12. note was good enough. Uh, Trey Wade, 15 on six of ten shooting. He knocked down three of their. But like we're talking about, you know, Arkansas, 40 percent from the field, 28 percent from the three-point line nine of 14 from the free throw line and it got to a point pretty like like way earlier than when there were zeros on the clock than I expected it to that it's like like wow Gonzaga's probably gonna lose this one like um and and it didn't take it didn't take an electric performance it didn't take a ridiculous shooting per night it it really took a like a decent night from Arkansas and probably like one of the four or five worst offensive nights of like perhaps the few era Yeah. at Gonzaga.
2: Yeah.
0: 37% from the, from the field, just five of 21 from the three point line. Thank God they went to the free throw line 20 times and made 15 of them, or this wouldn't have been close. And, and here they are, you know, Gonzaga, I really, I didn't expect us to look up and then not really get all that close to to the to the final four and when you look at it like they were there you know, they were closer to losing to Memphis in the round of 32 than they are to getting to the final four which is not something I was expecting to be able to say uh this March but uh but yet uh alas here we are
1: yeah I, one of the thoughts I had coming out of this game and it also applies to another team we'll discuss later in a different player play. Had Arkansas actually done well, – before even that, coming out of this game, my mind actually went to something that you said a while ago,
2: which was if you're looking for a random team that's going to make a deep run and come out with some sort of bizarre national
1: champion,
0: mm-hmm. Arkansas
1: fits the bill. Yep. They, they have become one of those teams that you just have to have faith in in March. Get on the buzz.
0: Yep, yeah, get on the must bus, baby. Every
1: they're they're to the point where they're proving obviously I mean, it hasn't been that long, but they are proving consistently they know how to do this
0: I mean, Good good coach. They had a guy who was capable of being the best player on the floor. They right. play good defense. Like you can like in the right tournament, you can you can get, I mean, I you know, equate it to and they are better than certainly the Kimba Walker Yukon team. And maybe relatively, I mean, is the best player across, you know this group of teams yeah. but they're better than that Kembo team was mm-hmm. even if the that uconn team had the better individual player but similar to that shabazz napier team if you get the right you know you, you get the right three weeks from jd note absolutely but um of course we know what happened next yeah. but but yeah. that
1: was the thing though is you didn't even get that from against gonzaga like you said right that was why i went if he actually has an efficient game this is it's, absolutely it's not yeah, they could make a final four if he has a spectacular outing against Duke. Right, and it just never—you know—they got that far without him being special. Yeah, right. He scored because he took a bazillion shots, but he was incredibly inefficient.
0: Yeah, and it's not like he—I mean, he wasn't. He was, like, we're talking—he was five of sixteen against Vermont and five of eighteen against yeah. New Mexico State. Like, like he, just he had a wasn't. Bad tournament. He he had a bad tournament, and they still. I mean, Duke controlled, kept them at arm's length pretty much that entire yeah. Elite Eight game. But, um, but he was 5-14 in that one, too. Like, he had a bad tournament, and they still uh, were just one game away from getting there. Yeah.
1: On the Gonzaga side, I'm so tired of this narrative. Now, I mean, they lost to a four seed. It was a good performance by Arkansas. It was not out of this world.
2: I get the criticism. They have also literally been more successful in this tournament than any other team Mm -hmm. since they have gotten this thing really going
1: from a winning games standpoint. I understand they don't have the national championships. There are teams with more final fours. I get that, but nobody does a better job of getting deep in the tournament. It's seven straight sweet 16. I'm pretty sure Michigan is second at five. It's not close. This idea that they don't play anybody and that's what hurts them in March to me is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. To me, it's much more about it is incredibly difficult to win six games against really good teams. Now, does it hurt them that they sort of play their conference schedule first and then their non-conference schedule? Sure. And would, they, would we have a different conversation if they played in a better conference where they take a couple of losses because you're playing in the Big 12 or the Big 10? Maybe. And obviously they have not been able to deliver on their talent, particularly these last two years. Mm
2: -hmm. But also last year they,
1: I mean, they ran into a team that I believe is one of the better ones in recent memory and they were undefeated going and they made the national championship game. And it's not, it's not exactly their fault that they, you know, they, right. They do have this tendency to lose to teams that you look at it and say, they shouldn't lose that. game. But part of that is because they're always a one seed, (laughs) right? They're just, (laughs) are. there aren't that many situations where you look at and you go, well, they just, I mean, these teams were close and it didn't fall their way or they lost to the better team. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That only happens when you get to a final four kind of thing, because they're almost always the best team in their bracket. Right. So the odds are always stacked against
2: them. To me, it's not, I mean, you know, look at what happened to the one seeds this year. And consistently we have your,
1: Kansas one seed your Duke one seeds right they're not the only one
2: seed this happens to so yes some of the criticism is warranted they absolutely blew a massive opportunity
1: these last two years it's stunning to me they didn't come away with the national championship but I'm just and I you know we were going back and forth after the Purdue game one of the things I said was I'm just happy that they're going to take some of the heat off Gonzaga because mm-hmm. I'm just tired of having this fight every year. Just just assuming that they're going to walk in and beat all these teams. The whole point of this tournament is that the best team doesn't usually win.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: can't have it both ways and criticize the best team and celebrate the chaos.
2: I get really frustrated when that happens. Um. <sighs>
0: I'm I'm really surprised that they didn't go either of these two years without a national championship, but I also will go to my grave saying that they were not the best team last year, and we just didn't figure <laughs> it out until, until the April third. Like if we like, I think that the narrative of last year is very different if those two teams play in December like they were supposed to. No argument for
1: me. I back. think it's
0: I think it's very different. So, by definition, they didn't blow anything last year. Mm-hmm. They beat they everybody. They did exactly what they were They beat to. everybody. They, sh- they, they, beat, they did everything that they were supposed to, which is beat everybody that they were better than. And then they ran into the team that was clearly better than they were. We just didn't realize it yet. We didn't know it yet. And I will, I will go toe-to-toe with anybody arguing that. So, as far as I'm concerned, is it disappointing that they lost when they lost this year? Yeah, it is. Should they have lost this early? No, they probably shouldn't have. And you're allowed to, but this idea that Gonzaga is a program known for how they fall short in March is a ridiculous thing to suggest. Right. Because they've now been to two national championships since you and I started college or 23, Josh 24, right? Yeah. Is that correct? Sorry. No, you got but it. The point being is that. It hasn't been that long since we graduated college. Jeez Louise, it's been almost two years since we graduated college. Anyways, sorry, this is a different. That's a different rabbit hole. Screw this pandemic. Um, but the point being is that it's 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 the epitome of you can't win. You're right. either you either under you either underperform in the regular season and then overperform in the tournament or you do what you're supposed to in the tournament and then, or, or in the regular season, then no matter what you do in the tournament, if you don't win the national title, then you're like, then you've fallen short. And if you ask him, Zach, I'm sure they'd say that, yeah, we fell short this year that losing in the sweet 16 is not where we plan for our season to end, but to suggest that to make these sweeping declarations about Mark view as a coach, uh, to, you know, sweeping declarations about Gonzaga, the program based on this and to make, to draw conclusions, like they always fall short in the tournament. Like, like you said, the tournament is designed for the best team to not win it every year. Now more times than not the best teams find a way to get there. But, but if you wanted the best team to like, I'm, I have the utmost faith that if this was a sixteen-team best-of-five series tournament, that Gonzaga would make it to the national championship. Hundred percent. I have no. I, I've. I have zero doubt about that. But that's not how this tournament works. Um, but I'm. I, we're. We're certainly in agreement with this one. That is it. Disappointing to have a one. Yes. Am I shocked that they didn't win one and lost twenty-four months? Hundred percent. Or twelve months. I guess. Hundred percent. But that's as far as I need to go when it comes to how I feel about the Gonzaga program, when it comes to their success in March, because by definition they're the most successful team in the last decade in March mm-hmm. in every, and pretty much every way, except how many national championships they've won, right. which unfor- which maybe not, unfortunately, which is just the way, which is just the way that works.
1: Yeah. And you got to look no further than, you know, Gonzaga
2: Southwest or Gonzaga South of what happened to Arizona. I mean, every you know everybody had this Gonzaga Arizona
1: national championship game. It seemed like
2: mm-hmm.
1: clearly Arizona had a spectacular
2: season. They had everything from a roster standpoint and coaching. Right, they checked every box. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think it. I didn't think Houston had it in them. But Houston's another one of those teams you just can't
1: write them off, no matter how banged up they are how shorthanded they are they are just if you don't come to match them you're gonna lose and that's what happened
0: and then their season ended the way we all knew it was going to at some point which they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn
1: right <laughs> and they played a team that came out and matched them and i think it was i think it maybe might have been justin moore one of the villanova players i saw after the game said it was like playing us Right. There were a lot of similarities between these two teams
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and right at that point, that's where you go. Okay. If Houston's fully healthy, this might be a different story Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because that
2: team is absolutely good enough to make a final four at full strength. Right. But they fell to the
1: equally tough, fundamentally sound most boring but effective team in college
0: basketball. <laughs> How wild is that, by the way? That of the four teams that we saw play in the final four last year, that a Houston team losing missing their two best players was the team that got the closest to going back. When the other three teams were Gonzaga, Baylor, and UCLA.
2: Yeah.
0: Now, if now at the beginning of the season, I I think it would have been fair to suggest that Houston had not a not maybe not an equal chance to get back but a but a close chance to get back right yeah, oh mean, yeah they were
1: going to be everybody's good yeah
0: right but when you mm-hmm. but like with the tournament you know with hindsight being 2020 and we we saw the way that houston's tournament ended up i mean excuse me houston season ended up shaping out that they were still the team that got the closest and they lost their best players this year yeah. that I
1: expect. I, I didn't have the courage to say they could do it against Arizona, but when you have when you haven't faced something like that before, mm-hmm. I just go back to the winning as a process thing. It takes time. It's very, very difficult to put a group out there for the first, first go-around and be able to make it all work, which is part of, and we don't need to get into this now, but part of what's been so impressive about what Duke is doing is all of a sudden we're sitting here and the team relying heavily on freshmen has gotten out of the sort of gauntlet bracket that featured the best defensive team in the country, arguably the best team in the country, and the team that beat the best team in the country. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it's the freshman-led team who has a history of not (laughs) delivering on expectations in the NCAA tournament in this freshman era that found a way to get there.
0: Well, you know the, what they have, right, that nobody else has?
1: Oh, yes, they have the Magic Pixie Dust.
0: They have the Magic Pixie Dust. Yeah.
1: In the Midwest, I don't know if you have too much to say. I have one thing I would like to speak on.
0: Um. Nah, Kansas, Kansas is the best of those 16 teams, especially when Remy Martin plays that well. So that's – I mean, and. and they – I mean – Miami was going to run into a team that was better than them eventually. And that's kind of what happened. But other than that, I don't have a ton to say. I, I guess what I will say is that, like. That Kansas, that this is what I expected Kansas to be this season. Yep. I guess that would be the only thing I'd want to say is that, right. We've talked about this before. The question this year wasn't is Kansas good because clearly they were good. 32 and six, 14 and four shared the big 12 title it was it wasn't as Kansas good it's why is Kansas good like this because this isn't, isn't this isn't exactly how i thought Kansas was going to be this good what's happened over the last 2 weeks 12 days this is how i thought Kansas was going to be good is with having you know if you look at the box score from this Miami game you had you got 15 from David McCormack on six of seven shooting. Baji had 18 on eight of 12, eight, five, four, and four. That was his stat line. You know, knocked down both of his threes. Remy Martin had, you know, nine points, four of nine shooting. That's by far the worst game of the right. tournament, right? He was the
1: most outstanding player in the region. Yeah.
0: Right, right. It, 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 that would be, like, Kansas in the final four. Like, if you told me on you know before the season started that on march 28th kansas would be in the final four and Remy martin just won most outstanding player of the midwest region i'd be like yep that's exactly what i think is going to happen nice balance around them like that's like i think and i can't remember if we did final four predictions before the season started i can't remember if we did but like if if i were to have kansas in the in the final four before the season started that's exactly how I would have said that Kansas was going to get to the final four um and you know Christian Brown four of nine knocked down a knocked down a three or two um you got a little something off the bench Mitch Lightfoot like that guy's like 64 years old still playing college <laughs> basketball um anyways all this to say that, that would be the only thing I would say with the Midwest. what what uh what's on your mind about yeah.
1: it so I always get interested in listening to halftime during the
0: NCAA tournament. Oh, you you watch halftime during the NCAA tournament? What's that like? I don't watch.
1: Uh, Occasionally, just to see how things are going. Mm -hmm. And especially when it's only one game on, right? I'm not going to usually change the channel when we get this deep. So (laughs) the conversation at the halftime with the Kansas-Miami game was – well, you know, Cam Agusti is just winning the individual battle, and Ochai abaji has got to take more shots and just win that individual battle. He's got to, he's got to just be selfish and take shots. And I was kind of sitting there thinking, so the, the, which on the surface makes sense that Abadi needs to—I mean, he has been their best player. He needs to step up, and he did in the second half. But that just completely disregards the shots Cam Agusti was making. This idea of he was winning his matchup. Yeah, he was making contested jumper after contested jumper. <laughs> what, what he was doing was remarkable and unsustainable. And so the minute that Miami didn't have that offensive weapon and, you know, you put DeWan Harris on him and he really bothered him in the second half and they start turning the ball over again so
2: Kansas gets out and runs again and does what Kansas does best, this game wasn't close. Right. That,
1: that just, it was funny to me that that was the conversation of, Ochai Abadji needs to be overall at Camp Augustine. I was just thinking, are you sure you want to run offense that way? Because Miami's offense wasn't good in the first half. They were just making shots.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they got a turnover here, there, and Kansas was struggling a little bit. Especially when they when Miami got that game slowed down and you were playing half-court isolation basketball, that's where they were able to get that advantage. Right. And then it just fell apart in the second half, and obviously Kansas obliterated them. And Ochai Abaji ended up with a good box score for the first time in this tournament. He's the other player I wanted to highlight, kind of like J.D. Noten. We haven't seen a great performance from Abaji 40 minutes yet. A complete trivia, game.
0: But, trivia time, how much did Kansas beat Miami by in the second half? So it was 32, right? That's correct. Yeah. 47-15. Yeah.
1: And you could just tell when it got to 12, it was mm-hmm. over.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But that, that is the one really good sign for Kansas here is Remy Martin got you through your region. Mm-hmm. At some point, you have to think is going to go for 25-plus. He hasn't had that game where he's been the best player on the floor yet. Now, the good thing is, right, you've got everything fine right now. It can be Martin, McCormick was really good. Jalen Wilson's struggling a little bit, but your other wings are still producing some. You've got everything you want at this point, so you don't need him to always be that guy.
2: But as you get to that next level and you're not playing a 10 seed good, not great ACC team that struggles
1: sometimes to score or... They need to turn people over on their, you know, their defense is predicated off of turnovers. They don't actually do fundamentally important defensive things very well. They just Mm -hmm. turn people over. That's kind of how they compensate for not being able to rebound and things. Right. Like like you said, Kansas is just the best team. Now you get into the, okay, let's see what happens here as we get into the final four.
2: Last thing before,
1: oh, sorry, go ahead.
0: I was just going to ask you anything else before we actually get to those those last four teams.
1: I would like to address this ACC nonsense for a second, if that's okay.
0: Okay. I want to hear what you have to say, because I uh, I, I certainly have, I mean, my feelings can be boiled down into one sentence, but I'll, um, <laughs> but I will uh, let, I'll give you the floor. What's up?
1: It's the same issue I have with the Pac-12 last year. And the Big Ten, every year, the Big Ten falls short. So, right, there was this whole narrative about how everybody said the ACC was bad, but look, they have three teams in the OED. day. Miami beat USC in a game they probably should have lost. Then they had a great performance against Auburn, which we highlighted the ways in which Auburn was susceptible to that kind of game, but give them
2: credit, they played great. Then they played an off- one of the worst offensive teams in college basketball. And then they got smoked by Kansas. They played a seven, a two, and an
1: 11 to get to the Elite Eight. North Carolina lost how many games by 20 plus points this year? I didn't bother to go actually look up the number. Right. But for the first half of the season, every time they played a good team, they got
0: run one, out of the building. One, two, three, four. They lost four. Okay. And then, but that's not including the 17 point loss to Tennessee. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they lost, or the, I mean, they only lost by nine to Purdue, but that, but they lost by 30 to Kentucky, 25, 28, excuse me, to Miami, 22 to Wake Forest, and 20 to Duke. Yeah.
2: I'm sorry. That doesn't justify they were bad the first half of the season. And obviously they've,
1: they've turned it around. They're playing terrific. They are very much like UCLA. They have so much of UCLA in them last year. I, you know, I didn't see this coming based on the year they had, but they absolutely are one of the four best teams. in the. You can't argue with their, you know, them being deserving of a spot in the final four. They mm-hmm. are playing like one of the best four teams in the country. And it's the blue blood with the talent that just didn't get it to click. And all of a sudden it clicked.
2: But that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't mean the ACC was good this year. They spent half the year getting blown out by every good team
1: they played. And then Duke has been more disappointing than exceeding expectations. Now, granted, expectations were quite high. And they've had their good moments, but they've also had their bad moments. I, this idea that we now get to defend the ACC this year, maybe it was way better than we thought
2: it was. I don't buy for a second.
0: If the NCAA tournament is not meant to get the best team standing at the end, then it can't be a sweeping declaration on a conference or even a team if they find success. You can't. Say louder for
1: the people in the back.
0: Just because you had three different ACC teams win three straight games in the tournament does not mean the ACC is good. Because the ACC was not good this year. It wasn't.
1: And now we get to talk about Duke North Carolina. <laughs> and like,
0: and like, but that doesn't mean they haven't played well in the tournament. Right, exactly. They're just two different things. I just, I, I mean, I just yanked out my headphone <laughs> and we're back. Okay, so if you heard an echo, if you heard Josh twice, that was why. I apologize because you heard it from my microphone and his. But- the two can, like, like, UNC is playing great. Yeah. They've lost once since February 16th. Once. And that was to Virginia Tech in the ACC championship game. Mm,
1: semi-final, right?
0: Excuse me, sem- semi-final. Yeah. Excuse me. Sorry. Sorry, Virginia Tech. Shouts to Storm Murphy, by the way. Um, semi-final. The two can both be true. Yeah, absolutely but two plus two doesn't equal four here just because they won a few games in the tournament, all the credit to them. And is UNC playing like one of the four best teams in the country right now? Absolutely. But playing like, and being are certainly not the same thing and making a sweeping, sweeping declaration about, making a sweeping declaration about a entire conference based on the success of a few teams in a single elimination tournament is like a, like that would be like, like, imagine like we're basically like, like if the Thanksgiving tournaments were at the end of the season instead of at the beginning. Right. And you were like, you know what, North Carolina, they want and won the Bahamas battle, the battle for Atlantis. That means the ACC is good. And, of course, it's a little different. But, like, North Carolina be a 15 seed in the Elite Eight.
1: You don't get credit for that. And then think about how close we are to a completely different narrative where Miami lost in the first round and North Carolina blew a 25-point lead to Baylor, who had half the team missing. Right. That's the margins we're playing with in a single elimination tournament.
0: Right. We are just as close. we were just as close to Duke being the only team in the second weekend. And Duke nearly lost to Michigan and State Duke- in the second round. And Duke was in a place in the second round. Yes. I'm right there with you. Or the round, two of, are round not- 32. Sorry. Excuse. Yes. Yes. The teams that played in the play in absolutely made the turn. Yes. So that's the first round. the first. Round. But yes, I think that's we're, I we're we say. are we're absolutely in agreement there. Okay. This is the bluest of bloods <laughs> final four I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, like this is more blue blood than when all four one seeds made it to the final four back in 28, 2008, that Memphis year is that Memphis year was like, I think it was Kansas, UCLA, Memphis, and somebody else. But like the final four is Villanova, Kansas, Duke, North Carolina. Not only are they blue bloods, they are all blue yeah (laughs) this this is the bluest this is the bluest of final 4 you you're not going to be able to make any declarations about wow look how many villanova fans there are it's like yeah but that could also be Duke, north carolina or kansas
1: they're gonna have to be have you seen the corona commercial where they have all the different players from the different blue schools yeah they're gonna have to redo that
0: yes (laughs) like north carolina needs to send out an email to anybody that has ever purchased anything with a UNC logo on it ever and tell them to wear Carolina blue only. <laughs> right.
2: We got like, to like, like, don't wear a navy people.
0: blue with a, with like a, with the Carolina blue UNC logo. Nothing yeah. white, nothing. No. Kansas Everybody wear the baby red. blue. Yeah. Kansas <laughs> just take red. <laughs> um, Duke can take the royal blue and we'll let Villanova take the navy blue. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. Anyways. Here we are. It's not like they're all like two plus, you know, we got two, two seeds, a one seed and an eight seed. We get Duke North Carolina in the, in the tournament for the first time ever. The only thing that would make it more ridiculous is is if Roy Williams was still on the sideline and it wasn't here. (laughs) And it was also
1: his last year.
0: Yes. And it was also his last year. We missed that by one year. Um, But you got a Villanova, Kansas on the other side, of course, Duke and North Carolina on the other uh, for a chance in the national championship game. Do you want to start with Duke, North Carolina, or with Villanova, and Kansas? Let's
1: go. Let's go chronological order.
0: Which games first? I don't even know. Villanova, Kansas. Villanova, Kansas. Okay. I guess I should probably have known that. But of course, the conversation here is. Kansas looking as good as they have all season. We've talked about Remy Martin and sort of this being the way we thought they were going to be good. Villanova, like clockwork finding a way to win a lot of games in the tournament. Again, here they are in the final four, a little bittersweet. Justin Moore tore his Achilles towards the end of that game against Houston. So they have no Justin Moore, but they do have Colin Gillespie. They do have Jay Wright. They do have Villanova taped across their chest. Um, there's still a lot of reasons to like Villanova, but um, clearly a uh, obviously not a full strength Villanova team taking on Kansas in New Orleans.
1: You know who else they have? Who? You know, I'm gonna guess.
0: I mean, Jermaine Samuels. <laughs> well,
1: uh, I was going the Brian Antoine direction.
0: Uh, okay. Buddy,
1: this is your time.
0: Poor Josh has been waiting on the edge of his seat for Brian Antoine forever now.
1: Yeah, I, I believe he's gone at least the last two games without seeing the floor. Chris Archidiakono plays a little bit, but somebody's got to replace Justin Moore's scoring. And that is not Chris Archidiakono. He can help you defensively. He's got some size. He can rebound. He's going to get some minutes too, I'd have to think, right? I mean, it, right because you were at six, and that was including – well, I guess seven. It was really six because Caleb Daniels and then yes. Archie Diacono played all five Di- Archie minutes. Archie Diacono
0: played two minutes yeah. in the Elite Eight game. To get
1: Colin Gillespie those 30 seconds before the TV
2: timeout. Right. So you're at six. Now you're at five. Somebody's got to play minutes.
1: Because you can't just play five dudes 38 minutes. Especially against a Kansas team that has a little bit of depth.
0: Kansas played like 11 guys in their game. Yeah. The
1: game. They can throw out all kinds of, and that's the other thing too, is they have, you know, they can just throw out KJ Adams to go guard Cam Mcgusty at the end of the first half. They have some different, if things aren't going well, Bill Self can just pull some tricks out of, you know, up from up his sleeve with just random guys, because they don't have, they're not as set in their rotation. And if he's not happy, he's just going to put somebody else out there. Cause they all bring something a little different. So somebody's got to eat up these minutes. And I'm assuming both Antoine and Archie Diakno are going to play, but somebody's got to score the basketball. And to me, that's right, Antoine is the guy who can actually go out there and make a difference for you. Now, has it has he done it often? No. But this is his this is his moment to shine. If they're going to win this game, he's going to have to step up and perform well. And Gillespie's going to have to be the best player on the floor. And Jermaine Samuels is going to have to be, you know, the third best player on the floor. And Cale Daniels is going to have to play well. They're going to have to be good defensively. And they're going to have to do the thing they've done all tournament, which is, and this is the one thing they do have intact. Those bigs, they are not physically big compared to the David McCormick's and Mitch Lightfoot's of the world. But similar to St. Peter's, they are so good at just disrupting rhythm and making life a little bit more difficult for you and it compensates for their lack of size. They are taking away passing angles, getting you off of your spot, all those little things. They have really locked in defensively, which has not always been true of this. You know, Villanova the past two or so seasons. You know, we really pointed to their flaws defensively at times. This team is playing great defense. They're going to have to shoot. The, I mean, the other thing I'm looking at is they're going to have to shoot the ball well, which doesn't always happen. Because you're just, without, without one of your primary scorers in a six-man rotation, essentially, facing <laughs> that starting lineup where you've got a really good defender at the guard position to put on Gillespie and DeJuan Harris, Remy Martin coming off the bench, the best trio of wings in the country, and Dave McCormick playing well. It's, it's a lot to ask. This is gonna You don't want to write them off because they have Villanova on their chest it should, I, this is going to be one of Jay Wright's best coaching jobs. If he gets, I would argue this would be his best coaching job if he gets this team to the national championship game. I'll put it that way.
2: And it's already been a remarkable coaching job that he got this team this far. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's going to have to be either Villanova shoots the lights out or Kansas can't hit the broadside of the barn. Mm-hmm. I think that's like if this is a very middle of the road. 72 to 68 kind of basketball game then i think that kansas has the clear advantage here if i mean when you look at the games i mean right that michigan game is a great example um 63 55 50 44 in the in the elite eight like if it's that kind of game then then I'm never I'm gonna have a really hard time rooting or like going against Villanova. Yeah, they absolutely it,
1: can win this game
0: yeah. right, oh absolutely' that's, yeah, that's not what this is about, yeah, not that I suggesting that that's what you were saying it was about, but there is a there is the margin of error here is so so slim because Kansas is playing so well, they're healthy, they're all of the things you laid out and what villanova has is is plenty of course right this was this team wasn't built on justin moore but it also the way it functions is that it makes it very difficult for them to fill to to plug the the leak if somebody gets injured just because of how tight their rotation is um but with that being said I expect them to show up and I expect them to be in it and feel like they have a chance to win for all 40 minutes Mm -hmm. until, until they haven't won. I, I, because that's just what Villanova does. They don't get, they don't get blown out in the tournament, even when they lose. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and I expect that to be the case because J-Rod will come ready. He'll have his guys ready. And they've just they've become synonymous with being a incredibly tough out in the tournament regardless of how good they were in the regular season right i mean we were talking about it last year how man villanova just hasn't been right villanova went from they're the third team in this tier in this group with baylor and gonzaga at the beginning of the season to yeah villanova is an aggressively like average top 15 team and then like we got to the tournament. I was like, okay, yeah, Villanova, there they go again, winning game. Without games. Colin Gillespie. Without Colin Gillespie, man, that's really tough. They keep finding a way to do it. Oh, right. It's still Villanova. It's still Jay Wright. And I expect that to be the case here. Um, If Kansas plays the way that they have been playing in the Midwest, I think there'll be a little too much from Villanova to overcome when you add in the fact that they're, as you've mentioned, um, now depending on a guy who's scored a total, a grand total of 26 points this season. Um, you just had to do that, didn't you? Yeah, I kind of did. Um, I did go and count. Um, that's not an arbitrary number. That is how many <laughs> points Brian Antoine has this season. Um, that that it'll probably end up uh, being just a little too much for Jay Wright's team, but I in no way, shape, or form am going to write them off. That's just uh, what I'm going to predict.
1: The other beautiful thing about this Villanova team is – and Brendan Quinn, the – I'm pretty sure it was Brendan Quinn's article, the Philly basketball encyclopedia himself, made this point. And he he basically wrote a column arguing that Jay Wright is the best coach in the country because he got this team – this team is epitomizing why he's the best team coach in the country. Mm -hmm. And part of – right? This team is very much a throwback to the original Villanova Final Four team. Not the two recent
0: ones. Because the two recent ones, we looked back and it was like, oh, yeah, that, right. those, those teams were the best They teams have in
1: the four country. NBA players on Right. It. This team has zero? Maybe one if things go right? I don't know who. <laughs> Justin Moore, maybe?
0: They got a lot of summer league guys. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. They got a bunch of really, you know, going to make some great careers overseas. Really good right. players. They just don't have... And then you look at Kansas, right? They don't have the Ochai Abajis of the world. Right. This is very much a villain, you know, sort of back to what Jay Wright did to elevate this program in the first place to be able to get the kind of talent that he's had the past handful of seasons. Right. And right, we talked about, you know, sort of Colin Gillespie's legacy. Well, here he is. He's getting a shot in the final four. So good for him. Right. As, as the guy.
0: So I'm going Kansas, but I'm not writing off Jay Wright's yes. team whatsoever. But I will go with Kansas. Are you kind of in a, an agreement there?
1: I'm in complete agreement. I don't Alrighty. think it's going to be a blowout, but I'll
0: take it. No. Yeah. All righty, Duke, North Carolina. We know the story. Casual. Coach K, Pixie Dust, first time in the going against each other in the tournament. Duke beat them by 20 at the Dean Dome. Uh, UNC won by like 14 or something at Cameron Indoor. And now here they are on the final four. Duke, a team that kind of danced around with this, like just how good are they? They definitely at times look like one of the best teams in the country. How locked in are they defensively? Do they fall short in the tournament? But when they play well, it, they have ludicrous amounts of talent. And when you have guys like Jeremy Roach really show up in the tournament, it uh, really starts to – uh to be obvious, how much talent there is on on this particular Duke team, and they've beat several, you know, a couple different types of teams to get there. They beat kind of their, you know, Tom Izzo in March. They beat the best defensive team in the country, and then they just sort of handled the team that beat Gonzaga. Like that was probably one of the more surprising things that happened in the last two days of uh, the second weekend, and the Elite Eight was just like Duke kind of got out there and just kind of looked like the better team for 40 minutes. And while I would have, while I would have considered Duke the better team before the game started, you know, they won the first half by 12. They just kind of did what they needed to do in the second half. And it was never really a concern whether or not they were going to win. And, uh, and here they are in the final four. And then you have this UNC team that like we mentioned for the first, literally four months, like until March or until February, didn't beat a good basketball team. Like there was one point not that long ago when UNC had zero quad one wins. And it's not, you know, apart from beating Duke, it's not like they flew through the end of the season, right? It's not like they were playing, they were hitting their stride at the right time. Like they played pretty well, but like right before they beat Duke, they almost lost at home to Syracuse. And, and now here they are. After losing to Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament, they've kind of, they've beat a lot of really good teams. They kind of get lucky with St. Peter's, right? With all due respect to St. Peter's, you get through the hard part beating Baylor and UCLA. So you get to play St. Peter's in the Elite Eight. And now here we are in the Final Four there's a lot going on here between the history of these two teams of course the and also just like here they are duke and unc both playing really really good basketball and the path with which they got to the final four from a body of work and just like what's the wikipedia page of these two teams seasons how is it written uh two two really really different excerpts and uh but yeah but you know, here they are in the final four and uh, playing each other uh, on Saturday night.
1: Yeah, I feel like this is one of those, you just got to throw it all out the window. This is something we've literally never seen before. I I have absolutely no clue what's going to happen, if I'm being totally honest. Me neither. I, right, I, I, we just spent a significant amount of time talking
2: through the other game. This one, It's just, you can never predict what happens in rivalry games.
1: The one thing I will say in terms of what I'm, well, it's really two things. What I ultimately believe is going to determine this game is sort of the two things that determined
2: the previous two meetings, which is one, how aggressive is Paolo? And does he get
1: downhill and can North Carolina stay in front of him? Because that was what changed between game one and game two. Brady Manick found a way. We started with him being guarded by Leaky Black. And Paulo went, oh, this dude can't deal with me physically. And then that game was over. Mm -hmm. It was sort of trending in that direction a little bit in game two. And then Brady Manick really stepped up. And it took a completely different direction. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And the second thing is Duke's defense. Been harping on this all season. I mean, they've thrown some zone in there. What, what's the balance between the man and the zone, and just can they stay in front of people? Does one of those guards, whether it's R.J. Davis or Caleb Love, go off either because they're not guarded well or because they just go unconscious? That is the that is the one danger. If I'm Mike Shashevsky, is Duke's guards can't don't really have that kind of spurt ability they're good overall and they all give you pretty consistent performances when you know Wendell Moore, Jeremy Rhodes, Trevor Keels but they they don't, they're not going to go drop 30 and just keep shooting the ball the way Caleb loved it and the way the RJ Davis has at points this these this last month, month and a half mm-hmm. That's the one edge I'm looking at if I'm UNC is we have the guards that can win us a. Game. Now, the flip side is Duke has the wings that can win a game. Right. And for every, for every three Brady Manic makes, A.J. Griffin is more than capable of matching him. Right. How does that sort of play out? But those are the two things I'm looking at is how does Paolo approach this? Is he aggressive from the get-go? Can North Carolina counter it if he is? And is Duke's defense winning the battle or are North Carolina's guards slash their penetration, helping Armando Baycott winning on that end of the
0: four. Yeah. You know, it's going to be when I, and, and part of me is like, there's no point going back to the game that they played at the end of the regular season because I just don't think it matters. And I yeah. think that like, like Jeremy Roach didn't, he didn't start in that game. He was good in that game. He had 15. But, like, Jeremy Roach has, I think, played at a different level now, so I don't really know how to feel about that. It's not like Caleb – like, Caleb Love had 22, but he was 4 of 17 from the field. He just went to the free throw line 12 times and made all 12 of them. But, like, Baycott had 23 and 7. Manic had 20 and 11. Both of those guys are playing really well. And to your point – at the top of the list for UNC, it's okay. Why does UNC win this game? At the top of the list is because their guards play really well. And at the top of the list for Duke, it's okay. Is there is there two lottery pick wings? Do they play well? And so it's really okay. How do these two groups, you know, two duos of players play? But it doesn't necessarily directly impact the player. The other two of the other team's most important players.
1: Right. It's not, it's not a, a matchup sort of quote
0: unquote. And then once again, at the end of the day, this is Duke and UNC in the national championship and coach K is at max coaching two more games in his coaching career. So does it even matter?
2: Right. That's that's kind of, that's
1: kind of, sorry, sorry to cut across you there.
0: And no, I, the, the only last thing I was going to say is like, maybe it's as simple as the emotions. It's maybe the most emotional final four game ever. Yep. And who handles the emotions the best up until the first on the, the under 16 timeout of the mm-hmm. first half.
2: Yeah.
0: Is that, is that kind of like who sets the tone in those first four minutes? And is it that just kind of the way it goes the rest of the way? Right.
1: Just said so, somebody have a seven point lead. At the 15:58 mark, when the ball goes
0: right. out of bounds, and they end up right. winning by six. Right. Yeah. Right. Is it? Is it a? Someone jumps out? because that's the that's the biggest secret about the Gonzaga Baylor Final Four game, national championship game last year. Like, it took like seven minutes for Baylor to be up 20 because it was like 20 to three or whatever. Right at that one point, and then the game was even after that. The the two teams played each other very even, but it just didn't matter because. Baylor was up by 17 and you just weren't going to outscore Baylor by 17. I don't think it's going to happen like that, but maybe it's, you know, one team or the other comes out and knocks down a couple threes and sort of is able to corral their emotions and knock down a couple shots early. And then it's just a dog fight for the next, you know, 35 minutes of game time. And you play each other pretty much even the rest of the way. It was just that team that got off to a good start.
1: Yeah. I'm with you that in terms of trying to predict what's going to happen, I'm just throwing everything out the window and not putting too much stock in those first two games. To me, where you can take something from those other matchups is, okay, how did those, because they were so different,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: how did those two teams win? Why did they end up the way they did? Because I, and I, you know, we already talked about this, but, the, I guess the last thing I'll say is, I think we're going to be able to. My prediction is, we're going to be able to look at one of those games and point to something that did or did not happen at the end of this one, and that's why the team that won did. If that makes yeah. sense, that there's going to be something that repeats itself, whether it's North Carolina can't guard Paolo or Brady Manic finds a way to guard Paolo or Duke's defense just wasn't good enough. They gave up too much on the interior. They didn't guard, you know, defend the guards well enough. Whatever it might be, they couldn't stop Brady Manic from the pick and pop. You can go down, up and down the list of different things. Duke's defense was fantastic. To me, it's going to be something that we learned in those first two games. I just have no clue what that's going to be.
0: So, basically, like the rest of the NCAA tournament, it's pointless <laughs> to try and predict it. Yeah. At least. Right. And this is the battle I have with my bracket every year. Like, do I want to be right or do I just want to have it be destroyed so I can have no underlying interest whatsoever? Mm -hmm. Because for like the first 45 minutes of the tournament, I'm like, okay, like, okay, like that's pretty good. Okay. Okay. I had that team winning actually it took me one game this year for my bracket to not be perfect, but that's okay. Um, I was like, okay. Um, But it's completely fitting that just to have a game in the final four that you kind of feel like after you spend a bunch of time thinking about why team might want, why one team might win that it's the NCAA tournament and it's silly to try and figure it out. Mm -hmm. But anyways, you have anything else before you give me your pointless prediction on this unpredictable game?
1: No, I am ready to predict winner.
0: Okay. Are you going against the magic pixie dust? No, you making that mistake? No, I don't think so. I know you're smarter than that. Um, I I mean I feel like like there are a couple things here the the pixie dust like in a big billboard the pixie dust and then right perhaps there's some okay what happened uh, at the end of the regular season to Duke figure some of that out um, but again that's uh that might be a little bit too analytical I'm going magic pixie dust and I'm completely fine with hitching my wagon to that being the reason. Do you have anything more helpful for the viewer? No,
1: I will say I have Kansas winning the whole thing.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I'm going pixie dust. Of
1: course, you are.
0: I'm going pixie dust. And I kind of think that when they're that I'm still, I still kind of might be on team Duke is the best of these four teams when they're really clicking. Like if they're playing defense and Palo is playing like like the potential number one overall pick that that this that the duke team has the most talent of the of the four
1: and that might be true and we I have- can
0: have i can have a conversation about that even though i don't really especially fancy having a conversation yeah. about that but i i don't necessarily i wouldn't say that there's no way that, that there's no way Duke doesn't have the best team yeah. for.
1: And especially because some of their better moments came before AJ Griffin really got going and got sort of into the sure. swing of things after his injury. Sure. That changed the equation for me because I love his game that right. They, you know, he wasn't a huge factor when they played against Zach. Right. They've had some very good moments with him too, but that, yeah, it's certainly a conversation of which, which team ceiling is higher. It's, it's those two, and then there's a gap for me, and then
2: UNC and Villanova, so
0: All right, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think yeah i'm going to go I'm going to go with Duke. I'm going to go with the pixie dust, and can I can always see the photograph of like the the blue confetti falling behind Kay with the tears streaming down his face, and John Shire hugging him, and it's like the end of an era and the beginning of another one the brotherhood i can see it all i can see it right now you're welcome you know sports illustrated for that for that cover that i just came up with for you um i know shocking um but uh i'll go magical pixie dust there you go how about them apples yet another college basketball season in the book i suppose we'll talk about the national championship game (laughs) well another we're almost to the end of another college basketball season in the books the less predictive podcast of this season, but uh, of course we'll be back next week to uh, to react to whatever happens next weekend in New Orleans. Uh, I can assure you of that. But um, you got anything else?
1: Got two real quick things. Did you see the most unsurprising transfer portal entry of <laughs> the off season so far?
0: Um. No. Well, who was it?
1: You get one guess.
0: Andre Carbello
1: Bing. Yeah. yeah and he, right. he explicitly said in his announcement, I will not be coming back.
0: <laughs> you know, because you, some people will do that. Uh, I'm reopening my yeah. recruitment, and this school is still very much a part of the recruitment.
1: Right. Oh, yeah. right the guys will put their name in the transfer portal, and like uh, Kofi Coburn did last right. year. Put the name right. in the transfer portal, go through the NBA process, and just keep all the options open. Right. Yeah. No, Andre Cabello said I'm
0: out. So are we thinking like okay, where's Andre Cabello from?
1: New York, right?
0: Okay, he was born in Puerto Rico. Yeah. And he went to let's see, like he played high school ball in New York. Yeah. So are we thinking like the Johnny's starting point guard next year?
1: Oh, I would love that.
0: Perhaps the Johnny's. Maybe he joined Shaheen Holloway at uh.
1: At at
0: Seton Hall, Hall. but 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 I gotta I gotta be honest. Him being the starting point guard for us, like like him being one of the reasons that John Rothstein gets too excited about St. John's, only for them to go four and sixteen in conference play. That kind of checks out. I'm not gonna lie, that kind of checks out.
1: Maybe he just needs a fresh change of scenery, and it's gonna be fantastic. Well, maybe
0: so, but that but that makes even more sense. He he comes back, St. John's, fresh you know, fresh scenery. And then he's like great in non-conference, like Andre Cabello, First team all St. Big John's, East. Big East. And then you look up, it's February 15th, and they've won four Big East games. Like clockwork. But, uh, but I did not see that. But uh, judging by the fact that I was able to correctly predict that. Um, yeah. We're kind of on the same page there. Second. What's your other thing?
1: Thank goodness somebody hired Jerome Tang. I was kicking and screaming about this last year. How that man has sat there in Waco for long enough to the point where Scott Drew said, you're not leaving until you get a good job Uh is beyond me, especially with all of the other success the assistants have had that have come through Baylor and were part of building that program the way he has been. Mm -hmm. And maybe maybe it really was just he wasn't going to leave until he got a good opportunity, but I am very happy for him and for Kansas State that this is going to happen. We're yes. a little bit late to this news, but we haven't gotten to address it yet, and I wanted to yeah. at least acknowledge it because I'm a huge fan of his, and I think that's a phenomenal order.
0: agree. Last thing I'll say is uh, on the women's side, NC State and UConn are playing right now. UConn was up by eight at halftime. It's, there's now eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and NC State is up by two. So a uh, bit of a turnaround here, but it's uh, – Shouts to like a really, really fun night of Elite Eight College basketball on the women's side. Mm-hmm. Super fun. But that's all I have.
1: It's gonna be a good weekend. Four straight yes, days. It is.
0: Yes, it is. Anything else? I think we've done enough talking. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days Podcast, not Podcast Spotify, and Google Podcast Follow us do it at Jays for Days Pod. We'll be back to react to those four straight days of college hoops. Mm-hmm. Uh, take care of yourself until then please enjoy the final four and we'll talk about it next monday thank you so much for listening to this edition of the jays podcast i'm josh he is josh and we will see you later